I am about this message this morning and about where God started directing me on where to go. You know, we just came out of a series called 180, and we just got done talking about uh, issues in our lives, things in our lives that we want to change, that we want to correct, that we want to that we want to be different in than we were previously. Um, but I want you to know that that change is only going to come because of who's living on the inside of you. Um, a lot of times when we're looking at change or looking at these things that we want to identify in our lives, um, we tend to only look at our own ability to be able to do something. Um, so God started directing me about a few weeks into the, the series 180 um, about talking to you guys, talking to the people about the overcoming power, the victorious power that we have in him. And it's not based upon what we do. Um, but I also feel that this is going to go in a direction. Um, I don't know how many of you, and I, we kind of talked in this realm a little bit on Wednesday, um, but I don't know how many of you feel like you're just battling stuff right now. You're struggling through things. You feel like the enemy's attacking you. He's He's coming at you in your finances, in your home, in your family, in your jobs, uh, personally. Uh, I don't know what it is, um, but this is going to absolutely open your eyes um, to who your enemy is, the power you have over the enemy, um, and I believe that we're going to look at our daily struggles and daily battles completely differently, completely differently after today, and especially after this series. This series um, just worked out great. Um, that it's going to go right into Easter, and it's gonna, we're going to be able to close this thing out, wrap it up on Easter, and talk about what Jesus did on the cross, what took place when he rose again, and how that power uh, is now made available to us to overcome any situation in any battle. Um, so I believe this is going to be a real eye-opening, uh, mind-opening uh, series for us, and I'm real excited about it. Um, so let's go ahead and start with Matthew chapter 13. Um, for those of you that have been around me for a while, you know that I always like to give backstories. I like to set things up. Um, I don't like to just jump into topics uh, without laying a foundation. Uh, Jesus did a lot of laying, a lot, a lot of foundation laying. Um, in fact, he is the foundation. He is the word, and he is what we're to be built upon. Uh, Paul talked about laying foundations. Um, many of the disciples talked about if you're going to display a truth or bring a truth to somebody, you need to lay a foundation. Um, I believe the foundation for this series that we need to lay is perspective. Is perspective. Um, our perception is everything. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 13 real quick, and we're going to start with verse 10. Jesus just got done telling the parable of the sower. And now his disciples have turned to him in verse 10, and they say, And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Verse 11, He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, shall not understand, seeing you will see, and not perceive. Verse 15, For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their eyes 
are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts, and I in turn, so that I should heal them. Verse 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. Now look here, he's not talking about our natural eyes. He's not talking about our natural ears. He's not saying that people have literally closed their eyes and literally become deaf. He's talking about in their spirit. They have grown dull of hearing. They have grown hard of hearing. They are not perceiving. Perception is in the mind. Perception is not with the eyes. So even though they see naturally, and even though they're hearing what I'm saying naturally, they're seeing the signs and the wonders that I'm doing, they're hearing the word that I'm preaching, but they're not perceiving it in their mind. They're not understanding it. And perception is everything. Perspective is everything. You know this, that uh, if you just change your perspective or perception on a situation, then we can attack it a different way. This is why in football, you have your offensive coordinators, your defensive coordinators, you have guys that are sitting where? Up at the top. Why? Because they have a different perception. They have a different perspective of the game. See, the quarterback has a perspective, but now he can get charges and he can get words and he can get things from different people based upon their perspective, based upon where they're at. I mean, I just flew in uh, last week, flew out and flew in from Oklahoma, and there's a different perspective of the city of Jacksonville or the city of Tulsa or the city of Houston when I'm up in the air versus being down on the ground. You see things differently. And so Jesus, he's not making emphasis here on hearing. He is talking about hearing. Hearing is where it starts. The, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Hearing is important. But hearing without understanding is even more dangerous. Hearing with a misperception or being misguided is even worse. I mean, this is why we have false teachers. This is why we're, we have to be weary of people taking the word and then misunderstanding or giving a misperception to it and then relaying it improperly. So the word needs to be understood. Well, this is the same thing for our daily trials, our daily battles, our enemies that we face on a daily basis. Let me show you point number one. We are fighting a losing battle if we have a misperception on who our enemy is. If you don't understand who your enemy is, you will fight a losing battle. You will be swinging in the dark, and you will, attempt, you will, you will accomplish nothing. You will attempt everything and accomplish nothing. A misperception of who our enemy is leads to us fighting a losing battle. Let me prove it to you. Matthew chapter 16. I'm about to go somewhere that when I heard it and when I saw it, absolutely blew my mind. So get ready to have your mind blown. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know that. I'm going to show you something here in the Word. Because we all think we have an idea of who our enemy is. We all think we know who we're fighting. The devil. Satan. That's our enemy, right? That's the ultimate enemy against believers, against God. And if you're on God's side, then you're not on his side, right? Very simple. But look at this in Matthew chapter 16. 
um, Jesus is talking with his disciples. And he just got done asking them, who do people say that I am? And we know Peter stood up and Peter said, well, I believe you're Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And he said, that's great. You didn't get that on your own. The Holy Spirit showed you. And I'm going to build upon you, upon this rock, I will build my church. And so he just went through this whole ordeal. Now we're here in verse 21. And Jesus starts talking about the end of his life. He starts talking about how he's going to die. He starts talking about how people are going to take him. Verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Verse 22, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto you. For, but he turned and said unto Peter, get behind me, what? Satan. He just called Peter Satan. Thou art an offense to me. For you don't have your mind, you're not mindful of the things of God, but on the things of men. He just called one of his twelve disciples, one of the closest ones to him. Because even beyond the twelve, Jesus had three that he hung out with a lot, Peter, James, and John. Just told one of his closest buddies. I mean, he's got enough haters. He's got enough people that don't like him. He's got very few that will stick with him, stay by his side. And now that guy is coming and saying, do not let it happen. And he turns around and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Now let's go down to Matthew 26. I hope you're ready for this. Matthew chapter 26. Now Jesus is being arrested. He's in the garden. And in verse 47 says, and while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his what? His what? Betrayer. Judas is a betrayer. Is Judas a close friend? Is Judas one of his buddies? He's not showing himself to be a buddy, is he? He's turning him in. His betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whoever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But look what Jesus says. Verse 50. But Jesus said to him, What's that word? What's that word? It's okay, you can say it. I know he doesn't seem like a friend, but you can say it. He called him a friend. Why did he just call Peter, one of his best buddies, an enemy, Satan, and just called his real enemy, someone who's turning him in, his friend? Jesus identified, and we need to identify. This is why we need to have a better perception, a better perspective of who our enemy is. Jesus wasn't about to fight a losing battle. Your enemy is anything that tries to stop you from fulfilling your purpose in the earth. So what was Peter trying to do? Lord, don't let it happen. You're supposed to go die? No, I'm not going to let it happen. You're going to be, you're going to, 
be taken in and beaten and you're going to suffer all these things? No, I'm not going to let it happen. But Jesus knew that it needed to happen, didn't it? Now, Judas. What was Judas doing? Judas was actually fulfilling Jesus' purpose in the earth. That's why he called him a friend. Enemy tries to get in your way. See, a lot of us think we got friends and we think we got people that are trying to stop us, people that are trying to shut us down. But are they really trying to fulfill your purpose? I'm going to tell you right now, an enemy in the earth is not a new thing. That's not a new concept. Let's go a little bit further here. Verse 51. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. We all know who this was. Another uh, gospel tells us that this was Peter. Once again, trying to be a friend and ends up being an enemy to Jesus. Why? Because he's trying to stop, he's trying to hinder, he's trying to slow down Jesus' purpose in the earth. Look what Jesus says. Put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? Look at this. How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen? He's saying, Peter, you are an enemy to me, and you are actually trying to stop my purpose, not keep me from not keep, help me fulfill my purpose. So, we see here that a misperception on Peter's part caused him to fight a losing battle. In fact, he took the guy's ear off. Jesus picks up the ear and places it back on the guy, on the, on the guy's head. Peter's fighting a losing battle. How many of us are doing this? How many of us are swinging in the dark, cutting off people's ears and taking out people that are really supposed to be advancing our purpose? This is why we have to understand who our enemy is. <clears throat> An enemy is anything that tries to stop you from fulfilling your purpose. Point number two. An enemy is anything in your life that is trying to stop you from fulfilling your purpose in the earth. That's your enemy. Why am I talking about the enemy? I thought we were going to be talking about victorious. I thought we were going to be talking about overcoming. I thought we were going to talk... Because I can tell you all the conquering and all the overcoming, but if you don't know who your enemy is, if you don't even know who you're fighting, we got any military in here? We got some, I know we got two. I know you didn't like going into situations where you really don't know what you're shooting at or what you're attacking or who's attacking you. Nobody does. The Bible says that we have been brought out of darkness... Into light. In the Bible, darkness is related to ignorance. Light is related to knowledge. So we have been brought out of ignorance, out of not knowing who our enemy is, and into the knowledge of knowing who our enemy is. It's hard to fight in the dark. It's hard to fight out of ignorance. Now let's go to the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. An enemy is not a new concept. But I'm about to show you some things about an enemy that is, you are going to have to walk away with a different perception now. You're going to walk away with a different perspective. 
on this battle that you think you're fighting day in and day out. We all got struggles. We all got things we're dealing with. We all have uh, uh, issues in life that rise up and seem like they're attacking us. But we have to change that perspective. We have to change this perspective of everything's attacking us. I'm going to make a statement to you right now. And I don't know that I'm going to explain it. (laughs) Uh, Just yet, we will get there. Let me put it to you this way. We are not trying. This is the way the church is set up. This is the way the church ought to be set up. Most churches and most believers are not in this position. We are not trying to keep the devil out of our stuff. He's trying to keep us out of his stuff. I'm going to say that again. We are not trying to keep the devil out of our stuff. He is trying to keep us out of his stuff. Let me explain that real quick. Offense, defense. And we've got this notion, we've got this idea that the church is on the defensive all the time. Well, the devil's just beating me up. The devil's just attacking me. The devil's he's attacking me with this and he's bringing this against me. No, you're attacking him. We are the ones advancing on the gates of hell. He is not advancing on the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we're going to be explaining in the next four weeks. See, our our perspective this whole time has been that we're trying to set up camp and we're trying to set up walls to keep the enemy out. We are the ones that are attacking. We are the ones that are fighting. We are the ones that are trying to drain him of all he's worth. We are the ones that are trying to go in and take our stuff back that he stole. This enemy thing is not a new concept. Let me put it in perspective for you. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. More cunning, more deceiving, more crafty, more tricky than any other animal on the planet. More than a cow, more than a dog, more than a giraffe, more than an alligator. Come on, I'm putting this in perspective for you. Now, did God know that the snake was in the garden? Yes, he put him there, just like every other animal. We don't know why Satan took the form of a snake over any other animal. We don't know that. I don't have that answer for you. I don't need the answer. But I do know this, that Satan was in heaven as Lucifer, the angel of light, got kicked out because he wanted to be greater He wanted to be king over all. He wanted to set himself up as ruler and wanted God to bow down to him, which is still what he's trying to do to this day. And he's in the garden, sneaking around, having conversations with the two people that God has placed in the garden. Now, Genesis 1 through 3 is very short. I wish it was longer. I wish there was more in there about what was going on before man fell. But I do know this. God never mentioned one word about the crafty, sneaky, little snake 
He did not say, now look, now, and look, we do this. What do you do when someone who has hurt you starts hanging out with one of your friends? You warn your friend. Hey, just to let you know, that person hurt me. I mean, I've seen this happen in church. And then the people leave. They hurt the pastors or they hurt people in church and they go to another church and they think it's the pastor's job to call up the other churches and let them know who's really in their body. God didn't do that. God did not say, now look, there's a snake in there. He's sneaky, he's crafty, he's tricky. He's actually more cunning than any other beast in the garden. But he was with me. And he tried to take me over. So my guess is, is he's going to try to take you over. Because he can't get to me. And I kicked him out. But he's probably going to try to get... Jesus, God did not have that conversation. Here's the other point. God didn't give Adam and Eve any tools to take out the snake. He didn't say, here's how you fight him when he comes. When he comes to try to trick you, here's what you need to do. He didn't do it. Show me tools. Didn't give him a shovel. Didn't give him a backhoe. Didn't, 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 get, didn't give him a gun. Didn't give him a shotgun. All right, when you see him crawling around, just go ahead and blow his head off. Didn't, didn't do any of that. I was just talking with Brent this morning about some snakes he had to take out. You have some tools. Adam and Eve had no tools. God didn't tell him. There's an enemy. So apparently God is not real concerned about the enemy. Why are we? This is all we ever talk about. We talk about what the devil or what the enemy is doing to us. We talk about how we're going to get back at him and how to show him up. God's not even concerned with it. It's not even a thought. So then let me ask you, what tool... Let me, real quick, go here first. How did the enemy attack Adam and Eve. Let's look at that. Did he put physical affliction upon their body? Did he lie to them about their checkbook? Did he take their job away? Did he take away their resources? Didn't do any of that. The attack of the enemy is always in the mind. And it's always doubting God's word. Now why does he always doubt God's word? Because that's what he did. Did, did someone tell you you couldn't eat of this tree? You won't surely die. But what did God say? You will surely die. So he's bringing doubt to God's word. Why is he so concerned with God's word? Here's the, well, here's the tool that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden to fight off the enemy without fighting off the enemy. Obey my instructions. Why did, he, why did God not have to tell Adam and Eve there was a snake? Just obey my instructions. Why didn't he tell Adam and Eve about what Satan had done to him in heaven? Just obey my instructions. Why didn't he tell them that this is the most crafty, most cunning beast in the field? Just obey my instructions. Why didn't he tell them he's probably going to come to you and bring doubt to my words? Just obey my instructions. If Adam and Eve obey the instructions God gave, don't eat of the tree, does the enemy have any access in their life? 
The first place you look when you're coming under attack, the first place you look is, is my life in alignment with the king? That's the first place. If it's a sickness, if it's family, if it's in your job, the first thing you want to rule out, and people don't want to hear that. I thought we were talking about victorious. I thought we were talking about conquering. Is your life in alignment? Because if you're not in alignment, nothing, there's nothing God can do for you. There's nothing I can do for you. There's nothing the church can do for you. Get your life in alignment. Obey His instruction. If Adam and Eve don't eat that fruit, we've asked the question before, where would they be today? Here. If you eat the fruit, you will surely die. If you don't eat the fruit, you won't surely die. Very simple. So the enemy came. His one tactic, his one tool was to bring doubt to God's word. Because if he can bring doubt, get you doubting God's word, then you won't obey his instruction and then you are outside of God's covering. But look at this. This is what's so exciting. This is where we're going to camp today. I promise this is an exciting message. (laughs) I promise it is. Here's an exciting statement, point number three. God never intended for man to have to fight a battle. God never intended for man to have to fight a battle. Now when I say fight, obviously we know that we are in a fight. Paul talks about this. You don't need the armor of God if you're not going to battle. But remember, when God set up this planet... He set this thing up as a partnership. This thing's a co-op deal. That's why obedience to his instructions was so important. As long as you do what I say, then I'll do what I say. Very simple. It all hinges on his word. And if you obey it. In Genesis 1.26, he gave man dominion in the earth. This is a partnership deal. You take care of the earth. You rule over the earth. You guard I mean, one of the, one of the uh, instructions that God gave to Adam and Eve was to guard the garden. Don't let the snake in. Don't let him have access. Don't listen to him. Guard what I've given you stewardship over. Take care of it. Rule over it. And what? They were taken care of. They had food to eat, water to drink. Didn't have to worry about where they were going to live. These are all the things that we spend our daily lifestyle. And how many of our battles are, how many of us face battles in the things that we think we're supposed to be taken care of? When God said, I'll take care of all that. You just take care of what I'm asking you to take care of. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. And so... We think that our job is ours to take care of and to watch over and i got to protect it. And so now our job has given us problems. We think that our money is ours and it's our job to take care of it. And yes, it's supposed to be good stewards, but it's not supposed to own us. And we're not supposed to, 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 to let it rule over us. And so now it ends up being an avenue the enemy attacks us in. And so the attacks of the enemy... And and then we end up fighting back because we have a misperception of who our enemy really is. We think our co-workers that make fun of us at work are enemies. Let me tell you this. You need an enemy. 
The Bible says that God has given us enemies to be our footstool. Do you understand that nobody in the Bible went to the next level in life without a hater, without an enemy? David did not become king, did not go to the next level in life without facing a Goliath. Daniel did not face, did not get to the point of influence in the kingdom that he had until he faced haters. Jesus had enemies. Paul had enemies. The disciples had enemies. Go throughout the Bible. We think we're supposed to get rid of enemies. No, the enemies are what is helping you get to your next level. Judas was an enemy, but Judas was a tool to help Jesus get to help him fulfill his purpose. And we need to look at some of our friends. Jesus had to look closely at his friends and say, look, you're not my friend if you're trying to stop my purpose. You're not my friend. You're not a benefit to me. I mean, how in the world do you call someone who's betraying you a friend? Jesus literally shook his hand and said, thank you. You just got me to the next level. Perspective. So look at this. God never intended for a man to have to fight a battle. If you go through the Old Testament, we're going to look at a story here. I'm going to read a story. You guys okay with Bible, Bible story time? I'm going to read a story. If you go through the Old Testament, you will find many, many times where God's people were in literal battles. Well, we, we think we got battles. People cutting us down on Facebook, and my car won't start, and my check came back. and I mean, We think we got battles. These guys were in real battles with swords and weapons. Countries and nations, kingdoms coming against them, trying to bring them down. But you'll find in the Old Testament that any time they went to God, they ended up not having to do a whole lot. It's actually pretty exciting. Let me give you some examples. Joshua, the wall of Jericho. They're at this wall that can't be taken down. The thing's so wide, they're having chariot races on top of it. This is a fortified city. But God, but God said, take the city. But look what God did. Could God have just sent lightning bolts all through the city and just taken everybody out himself? Sure. But this is a partnership. This is co-op. This is co-op attack. So God tells them to do something. March around the city for seven days in a row. On the last day, march around it seven times. Do not say a word. Then when I tell you to, shout at the top of your lungs. And what happened? Walls fell down. That sounds like a ridiculous thing to do. But why did God do it? Obey my instructions. Gideon, 
God calls, God finds this man, Gideon. He's the sheepish little guy. He's actually hiding when the angel finds him. He's hiding behind a tree. And the angel tells him that he's going to raise up an army with him. Now, they're going up against a, a, an army of 120,000 people. And he gathers 30,000 men. This thing's already looking bleak. <laughs> There's not a lot of hope here. You've you got a quarter of the men of the enemy. And you're supposed to take them out. And God wills that little thing all the way down to 300. 300 men. What's Gideon doing? Being obedient. Then he tells them to do this. Take light fires and torches and put them inside clay pots and then surround the enemy camp. And when I tell you to, take the pots, throw them on the ground, smash them, let the fire ignite, and shout at the top of your lungs for the Lord and for Gideon. Ridiculous. What in the world is that going to do? But they did it. They obeyed the instructions. And God sent the entire camp into disarray. And they ended up fighting each other. They literally got to go to a show. And got to watch a battle. Instead of fight a battle. This is what God will do. When you listen to his instruction and obey his instruction and then you get under attack. I mean, that camp was there to attack them. And they ended up going to their place to stay and watch this battle take place in front of them. Just because they lit some torches, whittled the thing down to 300 men, busted clay clay pots, started shouting at the top of their lungs like they're crazy. And then got to watch people kill themselves. Okay? Second Chronicles chapter 20. This is one of my favorite. This is one of my favorite, but there's things that I want to point out as we go through here. And I'm just going to read it. I tried to go through here and pick things out, and I couldn't. So we're just going to read it. Verse 1, it happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Israel. This is God's people. This is God's king. King Jehoshaphat was a godly king. Not all of them were godly. And when they were ungodly, they were overthrown by their enemies. When they were godly, they won. But in very weird ways. Verse 2. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon, Tamar, And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to what? To what? Seek the Lord. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Now that sounds like a very weird thing to do when you're getting ready to go to battle. You've got three nations here that have set themselves up against you, that are getting ready to attack you. The king hears about it and he says, let's stop eating and seek the Lord. I don't know about you, I'm getting ready to go to battle, I'm getting on a protein boost right here, man. I'm, I'm hitting the gym, I'm eating as much as I can, I'm getting strong as, well, i got to do what I need to do. And he's got them on a fast. Quit eating. Verse 4, so Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah, and they came to seek 
the Lord. I mean, this just repetitively. Seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem. But notice that they, they followed what the king did. The king sought the Lord. The king set the fast. And so the people followed suit. As the king goes, so goes the people. Verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand here? Notice, I mean, we just sang songs today. We just sang a song called God is Able. We just sang a song called Stronger. He's magnifying God. He's lifting God up. How many kings, how many people, when they get in dire situations, fall to their knees and say, God, don't you see my problem? Don't you see all these people coming to attack me? What are you going to do? And he's not. Why? Because when you go to the king, he's taking care of you. Jehoshaphat knew that. So he, he knew, my God is greater. I'm going to seek him on this thing. He is going to get us through this. He's not wailing. Verse 7. Are you not our God? Look what he does start doing here. Who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever. Now he's looking back on God's faithfulness. Now he's looking back on what God has done for them before. Aren't you, are you not the God that gave us this land? Are you not the... I mean, he went all the way back to Abraham, man. That's a long time ago. I mean, he's all the way back in Genesis. And saying, look, you told us we were going to dwell in this land. You told us that we were going to possess this land. You told us we were going to have this land. He's make, you know here he's making a demand on God. I don't know how many of you have made a demand on God lately. But when you start magnifying him, and when you start lifting him up, and when you start looking at his faithfulness, you'll find yourself making a demand and saying, look, you did it before, I know you're going to do it now. You brought me out of this, so I know you can bring me out of this. He's making a demand. And he's going to his king. Your name's on the line. Joshua did that many times. Say, God, look. These people are coming to attack us. And if they attack us, and if they destroy us, and if they kill all of us, your name is the one that's going down, not mine. They're not going to say, hey, we got Joshua and all his men. They're going to say, we got all of God's people. We just took out God's nation. Your name's on the line. Making a demand. Verse 8, and they dwell in it, and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, Sword, judgment, pestilence, famine. We will stand before this temple and in your presence. For your name is in this temple. Remember, we talked about the temple. We talked about the tabernacle. We said when you build it according to his standard, he lives in it. He blesses it. His glory fills it. They did that. And so now they knew we can stand in the temple knowing that you're there. Your name is in the temple. And cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, 
rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession. They're throwing us out of your possession. How many times have you taken your possessions and put them in God's hands? They're, they're, they're putting all this on God, man. This ain't about us. Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. See, when you start realizing that God's giving you the things that you possess, it starts easing the load a little bit. When you start realizing that he's king and he's lord of your life, it's, it's a little easier to go to him. But when you're fighting a battle for the things that you think you own, you're on your own. They're putting it in God's hands, man. Look, you gave us this land. You're the one who brought us here. You're the one who told us to dwell in it. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that has come against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And does anybody in here feel like that? I don't know what to do. This thing is greater than me. But my eyes are on you. I'm seeking you with this thing. I don't know how to get out of it. I don't know how I'm going to get the victory. But I know you're going to come through. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, their children, stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, blah, blah, blah. Verse 15. And he said, Listen, all you of Judah... And you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid, nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours. That's a word to somebody this morning. The battle is not yours. What you're fighting is not yours. What you think is attacking you is not yours. The battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Now what is he doing? He's giving instruction. Go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Zit. And you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. That sounds, um, that perks their ears up, doesn't it? This battle is not yours. It belongs to God. You will not even need to fight. Position yourselves. Stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord. And see, we always thought salvation was the born-again experience. Let me go ahead and throw this out to you real quick. We all need salvation every day. When you look at the Bible, salvation is not limited to asking Jesus to come into your heart. If someone comes up, if I were to come up to you and say, you need to get saved. Well, if you know you've already prayed that prayer, you'd be thinking, what? No, I don't. I've already prayed the prayer. I was saved when I was five. I was saved last year. I was saved when I started coming here. Salvation is not limited. If it was limited to the born-again experience, then how is he talking about salvation 
And Jesus hadn't even come yet. We need salvation. This battle is about salvation. You will see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Now, how many of us have ever taken that step? You start praising Him. You start thanking Him. You start worshiping Him. You start lifting Him up. When I was a kid, I used to have a magnifying glass. And I used to take a magnifying glass and I could look at things that were real small like ants or roly-polies. And then I found out that if you get the light on it just right, it'll go through there and it'll burn them up. I just thought I'd throw that in there. But a magnifying glass does what? Makes something bigger. A lot of us are magnifying our problems. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, even if you're going to God, if all you're talking about is your problem, then that's the biggest thing in your vision. That's your perspective. But when you magnify God, you make God bigger than your problem. So we need to spend more time magnifying Him instead of magnifying the problem. Oh God, I have this bill, and this bill is, this bill, you know, if I don't pay it by tomorrow, they're going to shut my house, they're going to shut my lights off, my water's going to go off, I'm not going to be able to use my cell phone. And all, what are we doing? We're just talking about the bill. And then we close it out with, in Jesus' name, Amen. Right? God, I need, you to, I, need, I need your help to pay this bill. Amen. And he's saying, he's saying, do you know I can do it? Are you going to lift me up? Are you going to make me bigger than your bill? That's what he's saying. And then, and the word amen means so be it. So we just said, I have this big bill. Amen. So be it. So be my big bill. So be my mortgage. So be the job that I can't have. That's what we're doing. That's what amen means. I'm not, I didn't make that up. The word amen means so be it. And all we're doing is bringing our problems to God. He didn't talk a whole lot about his problems. He talked about, you own this. This belongs to you. You told me I could have this. I mean, I, I knew someone that had a home that they knew God told them they're supposed to be in that home. That was the home God directed them to buy. And they bought it. And then something happened and they ended up not being able to, you know, the money wasn't coming in to pay the mortgage. But they knew that God told them to be there. So guess what his position was? God, you told me this was mine. God, you told me I could possess this. God, you told me that I would dwell here. So now you will provide a way. You will make a way. And I thank you for it. Amen. So be it. 
Could he have stopped at, the mortgage is too high. I can't pay this. I need a bigger job. And all you're doing is you're telling God to help you find another worldly way to fix your problem when he's saying, I don't need a worldly way. I can answer your problem, but I'm going to give you some instruction. You need to listen to me. But I just want to know that I'm bigger than your problem. And I just want to know that you know that I'm bigger than your problem. And we keep magnifying the wrong thing. They're worshiping God. They're thanking God. I remember Brother Hagin uh, told a story, um, or not a story, but he, he uses alliteration. He said, if, if, if somebody gave, give, gives me a jacket for Christmas, I don't go to them and say, hey, hey I really want to have this jacket. Can, can I have this jacket? Well, no, I already gave it to you. What do you do? You thank them. Thank you for buying me that jacket. But how many times do we pray for something and then we come back and we pray for the same exact thing again? We don't thank him. We don't lift him up. We don't exalt him. We don't worship him. We don't magnify him. And that's why you think your problem is still so big. It's because you've never taken the time to actually look at how big God is. The magnifying glass is in your hand. What are you going to put it on? Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who, who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. They're sending the band out in front of the soldiers. This thing's backwards. They're sending out worshipers. They're sending out the people that sing praise and worship songs. Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, and to praise, comma, the Lord, does what? Set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. And they were defeated, for the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. I'm telling you right now, we are victorious. We are overcomers. We are conquering. Then why aren't we seeing this in the church today? The, the, the church is on the other side of being defensive. I'm just trying to stay in here as long as I can. I'm just trying to, to hold down the enemy. He's been beating on me for 40 years. I'm just trying to hang in there. He's attacking me again. No, you are going against him. But the thing is, is we're spending more time with the perspective of our enemy than we are with the perspective of our God. See, God did not make a big deal out of the enemy. 
He didn't do it in the garden, and he didn't do it any time after that. So what are we doing to combat it? What are we doing to fight it? It's about your perspective. That's why I started out with Matthew 13, where Jesus was making a big deal about not hearing the word, but he was making a big deal about what your perception is of it. How you perceive something is how you receive something. And if you perceive your problem bigger than your God, then you will receive your problem bigger than your God. And so we need to spend less time going to God with our problems and realizing He's the answer to the problem. He knows what we need before we even ask and start magnifying God. You got someone in your family that you're bickering with or arguing with? Go to God with the problem. God, I don't have the answer. God, but I know that you can get me through it. Is it finances? Are the finances bigger than your God, or is your God bigger than your finances? Is it a job? I need a bigger job. I need a better job. Is the job bigger than your God, or is your God bigger than your finances? And God can be as big as He wants, but until you perceive Him that way, then you won't get the answers in your life. We won't be victorious. Last verse, James chapter 4, verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, we like to leave off these first four words. Submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. And we quote that all day long. Resist the devil. I'm resisting. I'm resisting. I'm resisting. And we forget to submit to God. Well, you know, Adam and Eve forgot to submit to God. Adam and Eve left off the most vital part of that verse. Submit to God. Therefore, submit to God. Now let me put it to you this way. Submitting and resisting is the same position. It's not submit to God and then resist the devil. It's submit to God, resist the devil. If you submit to God, you are automatically resisting the devil. Adam and Eve, if they would have submitted to God's instructions, they would have resisted the devil. Very simple. So, when you go to God and you start praising Him, you start magnifying Him, you start exalting Him, you start lifting Him up, you start worshiping Him. You don't, start, you don't keep magnifying the problem, but you start magnifying your God. When He brings instruction, you better be ready to submit. My family, they're, they're fighting me, they're attacking me. And God says, you need to go do this for them. What? I just got done telling you everything they're doing to me. And you want me to do that for them? Submit to God. And as we just saw in several examples, it may not even make sense. In fact, if we go with God's standard of way of doing things, it probably won't. God, I'm having trouble with my finances. Okay, give this much money to that person. 
No, you're not hearing me. I said, I have a problem with my finances. I'm trying to get more money, not get rid of it. I know. But if you give it, then I will give you. Is that not what God's way of doing things is? His ways are higher than our ways. He's got an idea. Was there any other way to defeat the the city of Jericho? Sure. When they had already taken spies in there, sure they can get some more spies in there. But God said, March around the walls. Do not say a word. God's very specific. We've already talked about God's order. We've already Talk about the way God has ordained things. And when he gives you instruction, do it. And that's where people fail. I'm resisting the enemy. I understand you're resisting the enemy. But you're actually giving in to the enemy because you're not in submission to God. That's the dangerous thing. Because it's the same position, submission and resisting. If you quit submitting, then you quit resisting. You come out of both. It's not one or the other. Well, I don't feel like submitting to God, but I'm still resisting the devil. Nope, he's all over you. Because you aren't in submission to God. So that's where we want to go. Change your perspective. Your enemy, and, 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 and I'm not trying, when I gave the allusion to, to Judas and to Peter, I don't want you walking out of here thinking, okay, who's, my, who's really my friend, who's really my enemy? That person always makes fun of me, so they must be my enemy. And this person is, that's not what we're trying to do. I'm trying to just show you that perspective is everything. Because Jesus, I'm sure, Jesus was a man. He was flesh, just like anybody else. And I'm sure there was something that rose up in him when Peter started talking, saying, you know what, Peter, you're right. You're right. I don't have to go through all this. I don't have to suffer. I don't have to die. I don't have to do this. I'm, I'm going to go to God and see if there's another way to do this. You know, there's got to be another way. I mean, I, I, you know, I really have to die. You know, maybe I could get a, a paper cut for for people. I'm still shedding blood, right? No, he didn't give in to it. And to Judas. Could have punched him in the face, man. But what did he keep doing that whole night? Whatever you got to do, go do it. He kept telling them at the table, whatever you got to do, hurry up, go do it. Why? Because my purpose hinges on you doing your work. My purpose hinges on you being my enemy. And me going to the next level in what I'm supposed to do hinges on you following through. Even though you may not be on my side, even though you may not be my friend, even though you may hand me over and give me up, but Jesus had the right perspective. We have to have the right perspective. There's no more of this fighting in the dark. There's no more fighting losing battles. There's no more uh, giving up stuff. It's time to take our stand. It's time to know that our battle is not ours. It's God's. He's fighting for us. And if we'll just follow his instruction, he will fight the battle for us. Your enemy, your enemy is not your goal. God is your goal. Every problem, every situation tries to come against you, that's not my goal. 
My goal is to continue seeking the kingdom. If, it, if this problem arises, it's only going to move me to the next level. You have to make that conscious decision. Sure, we can stay focused on the problem all we want, but God wasn't focused on the problem, and he doesn't want his people focused on the problem either. Amen? Father, I thank you for this word. Father, I thank you that we are victorious. I thank you that in you we have life, and that we don't fight these battles alone. But Father, I thank you that you have given us every resource, every tool, every weapon that we need to go against the enemy. Father, I thank you that we begin to take the offensive approach. We quit being on the defensive. We quit uh, acting like everything's falling apart around us. We quit acting like the enemy's beating us down. But Father, I thank you that we start to exalt you. We start to lift you up. We start to magnify you. And Father, I thank you that you will go before us. And you will begin to make ways. And, and as you give us instruction, we'll be obedient to follow that instruction. We'll be obedient, Father. That we will, we will not continue this lifestyle of being out of alignment with you and still thinking that you're going to answer our problems. But Father, I thank you the first area we look at is are we in alignment with the king? Are we in submission with the ruling authority? And Father, when we are uh, confirmed of that, when we know that to be true, then Father, we'll stand and we'll believe you, we'll glorify you, and we'll magnify you because you are greater than every problem we could ever face. Father, I thank you today that we're strengthened, that we have eyes to see, ears to hear, minds that are receptive to the Word of God. We'll adapt to the Word of God and see that fruit of it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. I've got three more weeks. Uh, the hardest problem that I had this morning was just trying to narrow it down to what I wanted to say. And um, next week, we're going to go right into submission, and we're going to look at that. Because your ability to remain in authority is determined by your ability to submit to God's authority. A lot of us are trying to tell sickness to leave. A lot of us are trying to tell our finances to get in order. A lot of us are trying to tell our homes to get right. But we're out of submission ourselves with the king. And so we're going to take some time to look at that because our victory is dependent upon it. A lot of us are fighting in the dark. A lot of us are swinging at the wrong thing. We need to get our stuff right here, and then we'll start conquering. We'll start overcoming. Amen? Well, I want to take up our tithe and offering at this time. Uh, if you need an offering envelope, you'll please raise your hand, and uh, we'll get you one. Amen? Um, most of you have seen the, uh, the work and the construction on the other side, and um, I just want to go ahead and let you know that that's not the end. <laughs> that's just the beginning, amen? Um, I, I don't have set amounts, but the building fund, we are still keeping that going. Um, so please continue to give. We want to buy uh, uh, furnishings for the classrooms as well as we uh, want to carpet this side and we want to build a sound booth back here. Um, so that, that thing is always going. So as the Lord leads on your heart, uh, you know, just put it on there. You can mark it on the offering envelope. Uh, as a building fund, uh, giving, and um, we'll keep that thing going and, and keep seeing the projects that we have uh, come to fruition. But what we have over there is incredible. And, um, you know, I, I hated actually having to leave for a week. We just finished it, and then we were gone for a week and a half. Um, so it's been nice to, to get over there, and we're going to be finishing up the work. And 
Um, if you haven't been over there, we laid carpet on the other side, and we'll continue laying carpet in the, in the classrooms. We have to finish painting a few rooms, so there's still things to be done, but it's getting done. Amen? Um, let's go ahead and pray over our tithing offering real quick. Father, we thank you for this time to give. We thank you that we're cheerful givers, Father. Thank you that we love to give into your kingdom, love to, to see um, the fruit of our labor be given into your kingdom so that it can be used for the glory of God. Father, I thank you that through this ministry and through this church that souls will come in, lives will be changed, people uh, will be restored, families, marriages, homes, uh, jobs will be secured, Father, because of the work that you're doing in and through us. And so, Father, we're thankful to be uh, able to be givers into your kingdom, knowing that you give to those that give, and, Father, that we will uh, be expecting and excited about the harvest that's coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I have a couple announcements real quick. Um, we will not have a uh, youth service, uh, pursuit service this month. Uh, we've just had a lot going on here at the beginning of the month, and um, really this last week was my first time in the office for the month. <clears throat> so um, we... Uh, just haven't had time to sit down and plan it out. Um, plus, I'm trying to work up something for Easter, and um, that's just in a few more weeks. So uh, I'm kind of in that vein. Um, so we won't have any youth service this month. Um, I do need to let you know about a couple meetings that we're going to have. Um, I told you all on Wednesday when I got back from this conference that um, God started expanding my vision and started.